I really want to give you the best, but when you receive, just put aside. Can you appreciate me? And God is something like told her, I appreciate your work, but I love you more than what you are doing. And when she shared that to me, I said, okay, that's the message from God, that in in the eyes of God, we are more important than whatever we are doing. It doesn't mean we are not doing the work, but whether it is succeed or it is fail, in the eyes of God, we are the one that most important. So when we keep that spirit, we know whether it succeed or not, God still loves us. And from that time, the work is starting to bear fruit. I'm Joel Moss, and this is the Native Missions Podcast. This is truly a refuge, and you can see it on the children's faces. The most receptive people for the gospel would have been those people who were outcast. Actually, shining a light on millions of people who have no hope. When I say the word Bali, what image comes to mind? Beautiful beaches? Tropical resorts? For Chandra and Uriya Tobing, Bali is their home and mission field. And while tourism dominates the economy, the Hindu religion dominates the culture, especially the small villages throughout the interior of the island. This is where Chandra and Uriya live out their faith, spreading the gospel of Christ with their words and their deeds. Well, I want to welcome to the studio today a couple from pretty much on the other side of the globe, from the island of Bali, Chandra and Uriya Tobing. Welcome. Thank you, Brother Joel, for having me in this studio. And hopefully I can answer and can communicate fluently. Thank you. Your English is great. We'll start off with an easy one. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so that we get to know you a little bit before we talk about what you're doing in Bali. Yeah, I'm Chandra Tobing. I came from Indonesia, but originally from the island called Sumatra, North Sumatra. I was born about 40 years ago. So I just started living now because life began at 40, right? I'm a little past that, but I think you're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, our... Uh, Batak tribe been a Christian about 150 years ago and we thank God there is a missionary from Europe from German that came to our place about 150 years ago and uh, reaching to our tribe and now our tribe about 95% become believers become a Christian so you are I'm going to do a little quick math are you third generation Christian then or fourth uh, fourth generation fourth. yeah I'm fourth generation Christian so you were born in Sumatra. What took you to Bali? Yeah, after I graduate from the high school, I go to the Bible school in the one island called Batam. It's like, it's, this island quite close to Singapore. And then after graduate from the Bible school, the school sent us to do uh, reaching out to Balinese people in Bali Island. So that's how. Now you're here with your wife, Uria. When did uh, when did you two um, become a couple? Oh, okay, so we get married in 2005. But when I was in a Bible school in the year 2000, and at that time she's still working in Batam, but God uh, called her to be one of his uh, missionary. She entered the same Bible school, so she's like my junior. And that's how we, we meet, uh, we know each other. Well, she's lovely, and it sounds like you you and she, from the little I know about you, as I, I learn, uh, you definitely operate as a team, have a family with a couple children, is that correct? Yeah, we have three boys, uh, 15 years, 8 years, and 6 years. Well, when I hear of Bali, I think island to go to on vacation. Um, that's probably a typical American understanding of the island, but can you paint a little fuller picture of what it's like, um, its life, its culture, if you're living there year-round? 
Yeah, uh, that's what people knows about Bali. Bali is like a tourism area. So that's why there is a saying in Bali, every day is holiday in Bali. But that's just for several part of the tourism area. But mostly uh, those who came to Bali, they never see the real Bali about their traditional things, their belief and their daily life. And many of them in the village area, in the remote area, they really need our help. Yeah. Can you say that? I know, I know enough that um, Christianity is not the dominant religion on Bali or I would assume part of what you're meaning is that they need spiritual help, but um, economically, culturally, um, give us a picture of what life is like in those villages. Yeah, you know, the population in Bali, about 5 million people, and 87% of them Hindu. Christianity, only 1.2%. And uh, yeah, many people know that their area is like a tourism area. But uh, not all of them live from the tourism, especially after the COVID hit the world. So the tourism really closed down. And the real Bali one, when you go there to, to, to the village area, to the remote area, many of them are really in need, not just a spiritual thing, even the physical things. They, their, their children also need a proper education, And uh, because some traditional parents thought that school is not like something quite important. And they just uh, think as long as my children know how to read and write, that's enough. Yeah. So that's how I say we really need to help them educate the young people. Yeah. And then in the spiritual term, you know, Bali is like a... Uh, there is uh, plenty of gods and uh, they worship a lot of uh, different kind of God and they really need to know about the, the salvation. I'd like you to go back and break up the population pie and the percentages. I'm not sure I understood those numbers. I heard less than 1% are Christian. Can you fill out the rest of that? In the percentage, the eighty-seven percent out of five million is a is a is that, that's a Hindu belief. So Christian about one point two percent is kind of like about seventy uh, thousand people all over Bali. Mm-hmm. And so then it's very small. The Muslim population is there a Muslim population? Muslim population about twelve to thirteen percent. So there are quite number of Muslim uh, people in in Bali. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in other parts of Indonesia, I know that the Muslim population is, isn't Indonesia the most pop, the most highly concentrated Muslim population in the world? Is yeah. That correct. But on Bali, the Hindu population is the majority yes. in that particular part. Yes, correct. Because, you know, Indonesia population now about 275 million of them and I think 86%, uh, 87% they are still Muslim. So that's why we call uh, the largest Muslim country in the world is uh, Indonesia because there is another, I think, 230 or 240 million people that are still Muslim in Indonesia. Well, I know that helps me understand a little bit about what your country is like and that uh, the picture of it being a, a place people go on for holiday and vacation is accurate, but not nearly the complete picture. When you came to Bali from the Bible school, tell me what your initial call was, what your assignment was, what did you start to do? Yeah, uh, because our school is like a mission school, so they design all the students do a church planting or reaching out to the area or to the tribe where the Christianity is a minority. Minorities mean less than 2%. So Bali is one of them because about only 1.2%. So the school really need our uh, team go there. About three of us at the time go to Bali to do reaching out there. And actually, uh, as like a fresh graduate, uh, normally you don't really know what to do because you are growing in the, uh, what do you call the the church tradition? Yeah, in your mindset, like okay, you go there to the new place, 
you meet people and start the church there. But while we are going to mission field, it's totally different. It's something like in our mind. Maybe most of the knowledge that we learn in the Bible school is quite difficult to applicate in that mission field. But while you are doing uh, all the things, God really give you uh, wisdom how to do that. But honestly, for the first two or three years, we really want to give up because the area is very, very difficult, very tough. Yeah, and then. Many times, I decide to going back because every year from our Bible school, we they ask us to come back and have reunion. So every time we go back from the reunion, we pack all our things or our clothing because we decide we are not going back because this land is too difficult. Until one day, I got a dream or vision. Actually, I already have a plan. I will move to Singapore to continue my study, and I will finish my master degree down there in Singapore. And in my mindset, when you graduate from a college in Singapore, you will be something different. Maybe a lot of churches will hire you as a pastor, and you will have a better life. Not like in Bali. So just to let you know, when I go to Bali, I'm not. Living in that kind of tourism area, so I really something like deep in the jungle, and I have no idea what is Bali. So that's why I decide to going back to 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 hometown and continue my school in Singapore. But while I waiting for the time, God something like give me the vision when I read the Bible. You know when Moses see the burning bush, God told him. Take off your shoes, because this land is holy. And it's something like God spoke to my heart and says, "Bali is holy for me." And I told God, "It's not holy. There is no people worship you, and the land is too hard." But God says, "It is holy for me." And I said, "Too tough, too difficult." And God told me that it's something like kind of conversation in my mind says, "Okay." No one willing go back to. No one willing go to the to the cross, but I do because I love you. So if you love me, you want to go back to to Bali, and I just say yes, sir. This is my calling. I will go back, and then I decide to going back to Bali. And the school doesn't really support me at all because they said if you are going back. No more support. Only three years, but I said I will willing back because God is the one who called me. Before the first three years, it's not God. God the one who called me to go to Bali. That's the school, the school order. But this one is a uh, God's order, and I just give testimony among the uh, the graduates, all the reunion people in our school. I said I will going back to Bali. Even though there is no support, there is no transport. I will handle that. I never heard there is a missionary or a pastor die because lack of food, but many of them die because too much food. And uh, if I will be the first one, I'm ready for that. And I also told in front of a lot of friends, maybe some of the women here. Uh, when heard my testimony, they know there is no future in my life because no support, nothing. It's really like to get suicide in mission field. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I know maybe none of the women will like me because there is no future. So that kind of thing that I share to them because I really want to do my calling. But after I share my testimony, many of friends just shake my hand and says, "We really get encouraged by your testimony." And there's one lady just approach me and say, "I also really get encouraged." And I just told her, "I think this is the one." <laughs> That's why I approached her, and then that's become my wife because of that testimony. So after the third year, I going back to Bali. That's because the real calling from God, and I believe that land is holy for God. So that's why we still continue now. It's going to be twenty one years. Yeah. Wow, beautiful. 
was thinking about the verse where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. And it sounds like that was a, a defining take up your cross moment, um, clarified your calling, your vision, and it also clarified it in what I understand is your future wife's mind as well and a like-minded servant. This is someone I want to pair up with. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. So you went back third year. Did it get any easier or was it just, uh, it was more clear cut and so you were willing to keep pushing? Yeah. That's what I believe. When you really fulfill the calling from God, God is be with you. Your life will be easy. You will see a lot of miracle in your life. That's what in my mindset. But when, while I'm going back, the life is not easy. It's even worse. And But there is no more choice. I ever asked God and pray, can you send me to a place very deep in the jungle? There is no TV, no news, no signal, no nothing. So I can really disconnect to the world because the main problem is from surround you, is from someone that you know. They will keep on asking, how is your ministry? How many people? How many church? When you are succeed, you really love to share the testimony. But when you have nothing, you really willing to disappear or disconnect with the world. It's not easy. It's very tough. But since this is a calling, I just say, okay, I will keep continue, keep going on, because my life is yours. That's my promise. If I will, if if I will be die here, I'm ready for that. So, some of friend asking me, what makes you really believe that the place is the right one that God called you to go? My simple answer is. Where is your tears is more? That's the place. So I told them, I I I have a lot of tears in this land already. Something something like it's already dry. If I really fail, I. What is the phrase you said? Where the tears are is where. Yeah, when you really uh, walking in your calling, many people will give you a big question because. To prove that you are carry on your calling, it means your work must be very bare fruit. People will see when you do your calling. And that's what people ask me. How do you really assure that Bali is the place that God calls you to go? That's what I answer them. To know where is your calling, where is the place that God calls you to go? You can see where is your tears more. That's the place. And since I have a lot of tears, there is something like all my tears is dry already and I don't want to be give up because it's like you pour out so much tear and then you give up, you will lose everything. So just be patient, wait until God do something. So what what it's mean about the, because in a mission field, we like to use the, the word of uh, what do you call Faithful. So faithful, it means just stay there before God calls you to go. How long? I also don't know. If you ask me how long you've been in Bali, I'm not originally from Bali. I've been 21 years there. And I also don't know when when will be I have to leave Bali. But as long as God still doesn't say anything, I will be there. That's the meaning of faithful. Faithful will... We will know someone is faithful. It is proven by the time. And God gives the fruit. God gives the fruit in his time. A group of us were talking along with you earlier about the verse where Paul says in one of his letters, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the fruit. And I hear that theme as I hear you share I'd like you to talk about some of the stories of people you have sowed seeds into and you have had to wait for fruit. You have a training center now where you're training others. Can you bring us from this time early on when 
you needed to keep pressing on and be faithful, even though you weren't seeing fruit to now you have a training center where you're training other people to be faithful and you're sending them out. Um, fill us in about those years and, uh, and how God worked to, to bring you to the place where you are now. Yeah. Uh, we know the place where God put us is, it's not an easy place. And sometimes when you walk alone, you cannot do a lot of things. In our experience, for the first few years we start the ministry, we find a lot of struggle and sometimes persecution when we bring uh, non-believers, become believers. Not just the new believers get persecuted, even us also. And like what I told you, in Bali, there is another 87% to 90% that still need to reaching out. In Indonesia, there is another 240 million people. There's a lot of tasks need to do and we cannot do it alone. So that's why God led us to train more people to help us to work together, reaching out, not just Bali, but all over Indonesia. So we just follow what the Jesus did. He's not have many followers, but he chose about 12 disciples. So what we are doing, we, we create uh, or we, we, we make disciples. That's how we are going to this uh, training center because my background also from the training center, from the mission school, they sent us to Bali. And since the work is very big, we need more people. That's how we get all the young people to get involved, get trained, and then we send them to the mission field. So before, like, it takes you like 10 years just to reaching out, like maybe 70, 90 people. But if you can create the same person like you, can you imagine one person can bring 90 people, but if you can create another 100 people like you, they become multiplication. So that's how uh, God direct us to have that kind of a training school or mission school. And how long ago did that mission school, went, what year was it founded? How many years ago approximately? Mm-hmm. We start the mission school in 2010. And normally we great we will like uh get like ten to twelve students and along the way in one year only left like five, seven people graduates. But since two thousand ten there is a fifty more than fifty people graduate and we send them to all over Indonesia and thank God now we have about ninety six churches all over Indonesia. And before God take me home, I told God give me a chance to planting 1,000 churches all over Indonesia. Hmm. Yeah. What a great, what a great dream. So if uh, someone from Indonesia comes to your Bible school, how long are they there? What does that look like for them? Yeah, they will stay in our Bible school for one year. And normally they will study from Tuesday to Friday, like four days a week. From 9 to 1 is like uh, 4 hours uh, a day and 4 days a week. And then they all, all, all of them that came to our Bible school is all free of charge. So they are, can study and stay with us. All the meal or everything we provide. And we, they really live with us. They know how, we, how our daily life because we train them to be practical, not just the knowledge. So all of them that graduate from our Bible school, before they graduate, they, they, study, they study only one year, but they will graduate if they can have cell group and can baptize at least three non-believers. So if they can pass that test, they can graduate and we can send them to the mission field. Now, I heard you earlier share a story about one of your graduates. Yep. Um, can you talk about uh, Yonki? Yes, yes. Uh, one of our graduates, his name is uh, Yonki. He came from North Sumatra also because he feel the calling of God and, there are, uh, and then come to our Bible school, get, uh, uh, he studied about one year and then helping us ministry in Bali, helping the children ministry. And I think after two or three years in the ministry, he, he get married and then for their living, he has to work, and one of his job, one of his job is like uh, selling the chicken, 
So he go to the village and buy from the villages and then sell in the market, slaughter the chicken, sell to the to to the people in the market. And after one year, do that kind of things because as a husband, that responsibility to feed the family. But the calling is still there, and he just pray God. It is something not right with me. I graduate from the Bible school, and yet looks like I'm doing nothing. I just selling chicken, and how I can connect with people, how I can bring soul to your kingdom. So we have some discussion with him, and I just encourage him. Just open your eyes. There is a lot of people around you, whether in the village or in the market. Uh, just open your eyes. That's your mission field. So that's what he do every day when there's normal chicken. Just go to the village and find the chicken, bargain with the people. And one day he just get to know by the Facebook. In the Facebook in Indonesia, we have a call a marketplace. Mm-hmm. That's how people put off their things they want to sell to anyone. Mm-hmm. And then he just look for the key, the things with the chicken, and then find out the guy. His name is Ketut Winardi, and just make appointment. So Yongki go to the farmer, uh, to the farming where the ketut raising the chicken there, and have some conversation, bargaining, and something like that. And then they just talk about the politics, about the country, and everything. And they get to discuss about Israel. And then Yongki say, "Yeah, Israel is different because God really love them." Is something like that. And then ketut say, "Are you Christian?" Hmm. Yongki a bit afraid. Because, you know, when you do the trading, when you talk about something sensitive, can be changed the price. So, <laughs> so he's afraid, he was afraid all of a sudden the deal was yeah. going to get more, a little less advantageous. You yes. might not be making as much money. Yeah, because Katut is quite like a, quite a lot of chicken can be the source or something like that. But yeah, Yonki just say, yes, sir, I'm a Christian. And then quite polite to answer. And then Katut, Just say, I already waiting for two and a half years to meet a Christian friend, because already two and a half years. Katut say, I read the Bible. I, I he bought by himself the Bible and then listen to the to the sermon from YouTube, from radio, something like that. And then through that uh, online things, he really want to uh, give her his life to Jesus and want to get baptized. And Ketut say, I I want to be a followers of God. And Yongki said, Okay, I can do it. And Ketut directly asking, Can you baptize me? And Yongki said, Okay, wait. Tomorrow I will come with other friends, and then we can do baptism. And then the next day, Yongki bring another two friends. They go there and then have some uh, conversation about the salvation and everything. And then Ketut also have a fish farm, and he said, "Can you baptize me now?" And normally we have a uniform for the baptism, but for Ketut, baptism is not about the uniform; it's not the swimming pool or whatever. Just doing the fish pond. So he get baptized, and he really feel free, change, and everything. And on the way back, all the guys they got they get a lot of fish, tilapia fish, because. Ketut is very happy. He said, "Okay, I can offer this for you. I've been waiting this for two and a half years, and God really answered my prayer. And thank God, Ketut is very powerful believers now. He can testify to some of his neighbors. So we baptize them, and then he has a desire to bring the whole family to Christ. He's, I think, six of them sibling." Ketut is number four, and he's just asking me, "What do you think, Pastor? Uh, how we reaching out to my family?" And I just suggest him, maybe we can have a small Christmas gathering in your house. Since you are Christian, just let your family knows. Okay, since I'm Christian, I have a Christmas party. Can you come? So we just has as a guest came to your house. And then before we leaving, and then you just give me a time to pray for you, and then pray for your family. So we design that kind of uh, occasion, and then Ketut told the 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 family, 
I will invite my friend to celebrate Christmas here since I become a Christian. So last Christmas, we have the gathering in the house and then invite the whole family after the meal. Before we leaving, I just say some words to say thank you. And then I got a chance to share the good news of God, how God redeemed us from our sin because we have a big debt that we cannot pay. That what we call as a sin and need something. I think in English you call it ransom. The, the ransom must be higher, more valuable than your debt. And there is nothing more valuable than human. And the one that more valuable than human is the creator himself. So that's how I use the, the story to bring the good news to the, to the family because our sacrifice, uh, sacrifice some, of, some of them sacrifice the animal to pay their sin. And it's not enough because we are more valuable than the animal. So that's how I address how, why Jesus sacrificed himself because we need ransom that more higher value than us. That's what Jesus did in our life. So there's one sacrifice for all people. And we just pray for Ketut and the family. After a few days, I just get feedback from Ketut and say, wow, the father and the mother really enjoy the message. And we visit his house 25th December, exactly in Christmas. I think in March this year, we baptized both the parent, the father and the, the mother. So we really thank God through the one of our graduates, Bible school students that thought no more hope for him to share the good news because he became a chicken seller in the market. But God can use any profession. He can use to bring his good news. Nobody knows. Through one person can reaching out to many others non-believers. Yeah, that's one of our wonderful story that we have in our ministry. Well, it must be. It's encouraging for me just to hear in this short span you going from being wanting to quit, basically being sent to Bali, wanting to quit, and then feeling God call you to be faithful, and it's still being hard, and then the the hope, the model of making disciples, replicating yourself, and then letting that do the multiplication, and then seeing one of those disciples, seeing that multiplication happen, that must be, that must be really um, exciting to kind of be first person right there to watch that and see God be faithful. As I've been hearing you share specifically today, the theme that I hear a lot out of what you've been sharing is that you're you've kind of come to a place where you're confident God's going to do what he's going to do in his timing. And your job is not to pull the trigger too soon, jump the gun, so to speak, but to, um, to really be sensitive to God's timing and, and continue to love and continue to be faithful and let God put those opportunities in front of you. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. I had to take an evangelism class when I was in college, and I, I don't remember a lot about it other than being nervous to go out and do door-to-door evangelism. But I remember the instructor at one point said, you know, you don't have to go out and, okay, who am I going to share with today? But the prayer more often is, Lord, when, when the opportunity comes, just help me not to duck. Okay, don't duck. This is your opening. That's encouraging. I think it's encouraging uh, for any believer to hear that sometimes when the opportunity comes, the chance we've been waiting for and praying for, it appears, and then we don't want to take it. I heard that there was another instance of someone who you planted the seed with that it took a long time. There was a a 60-year-old woman that has recently come to faith, or at least in these past years. Can you tell us about that story and um, how God planted the seed in her and when that came to fruition? Yeah. Uh, this story really led us 
to start our children ministry because I met elderly lady that become believers uh, join our ministry. No one approached her or shared the good news to her uh, when she elderly lady. But I just get to know her story. She is a Muslim before. And she was, she originally originally from a small town called Blitar in the East Java. It's another island from us in Bali. But she get to move to Bali because she told me that when she was like five or six years old, they are Muslim. But there is a church quite close to their house. While Sunday school happened. He, she really liked to visit and join them because sing a song, playing, heard the story, something like that. I think she attended like one year like that. And you know, as a Muslim people, they just grow and then finish the high school. They move to another town to get a better life, get married, divorce, get married, divorce. And the last one, He married to the Hindu guy and then the husband passed away, married again. It's continue like that. And then her life is never getting better. In wor- it is worse and worse and worse. And then while she reached the age of about 60 something, she just thinking that I still remember like a 50 years ago, I've been visiting like a Sunday school Heard the story about Jesus. Jesus can do something while you are in the problems. Kind of like that kind of things. And then she decided, I need to look for the church. And I want to get to know more about this Jesus. So she just decided by herself when she really elder, elderly, like 60 years old. Go find a church and then share to the to, to, to one of our friends and the pastor. That's how he she get. Uh, to know Christ, get baptized, yeah. And then what I learned from that, when she was six years old, she got a chance to hear the good news. But that word is not bear fruit at that time. But it doesn't mean that the seed is die, still there. It takes time. Like Paul said, there, there is someone who planting and someone who, who watering. And there is a time we will harvest the seed. And what I found out from this elderly lady is the seed of the Word of God after more than 50 years still remain in her heart and still can bear fruit. So that's how that led us to, to reaching out to the children. Not many people really love to reaching out to children because you gain nothing from them. And sometimes it's not a good feedback. And many times you need to invest so much thing in their life. And the fruit is not directly. Sometimes, yeah, some, you wait like one month, one year. Maybe it could be like this elderly lady. You need to wait 50 years. But the main key is your part to throw the seed and let God, the one who give the life until the seed of the word of God is bear fruit in their life. Maybe we have to wait 50 years. That's what the uh, the quote that I heard from one of my friends. They are children today, but leaders tomorrow. You never know when they become a big leaders. When they struggle in their life, they still remember Jesus can help them. You shared a little bit about your neighbor and about this idea of giving without motive. Talk a little about your relationship with your neighbors. Yeah. As a missionary or as a pastor or whatever you call it, as a Christian, we, we, we learn about love from the Bible, from Jesus. And our fault normally when we do something to people, whether share the good news, We have the motive. What is the motive? Even though the motive is normally something good because our motive is we really want to see them become the followers of God. But while you have the motive, that motive is um, force you 
to react through what you you do to them. So, for example, when you do something good to to the non-believers, you help them or whatever you do to them. When you have a motive, you expect whether next week, next month, next three months, next year. We hope that they will open their heart, and when we share the good news, they will open their heart. They will receive Jesus. They get baptized. So that kind of motive. And for us, a Christian, we said that's a good motive. What? It's nothing wrong with that. But actually, what we study from the Word of God, from the Bible, Jesus died on the cross while we are in sin. He's not wait for us, or he's not doing that to hope that we will change. Before we was born, even before we was born. There's no guarantee that all people will receive Christ, but yet He still sacrificed Himself. So when we really follow the pattern life of Jesus, do something, love people, or whatever the good things we do to the people, we that's what I learned from Jesus. There is no motive whether they want to receive Him or not. As God, I believe that Jesus know that. Five thousand people that he feed, there some of them will crucify him. I believe he know that, but he didn't stop them. He didn't stop to bless them, to feed them. He still do. That's what I say, without any motive. So, in our experience of ministry, when we have a motive, let's say we have the non-believers. Maybe they are in 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 trouble or in struggle. We have something we can help them. When we have a motive, we expect that okay, we are a Christian. We are helping you now. You follow us, but that create a lot of problem. You know, in Indonesia, we call that as a Christianization. So you do something with the motive. It means you are not have a poor heart, pure heart, and You use your your good things, or you use the weak point of others to force them to follow your belief. So that that put many Christian missionary into a prison because our government used that term of a Christianization. So you like when you helping uh what do you call when there is a like a flood or earthquake and then you help. The people there relief, like relief. relief. Yeah, when you do relief and you hope some people where that you help be will follow God, uh, will will become a believers. That's what uh, our our government says is a Christianization. So we change the idea. So when you do something good or helping people, you have to leave all your motive. Just love them as God really loved them, without any expectation whether they will, they will, they they will they will listen to your message, whether they they will uh, ask you to pray for them or whatever. When we really have a a good motive, with uh, I mean, without any motive, not good motive, because hoping people to become believers is a good motive. But what I mean is, ah, uh, there is no motive. Just with the pure heart, helping them, whether they become believers or not, just do something good because your, our portion just to sow the seed is not for us to make the seed is bear fruit. Even though many, uh, many pastor, many friends is just asking me, and and it's not asking. It's like judge me that. How come you? You meet these people. You do something good to them. Why you don't open your mouth and share the good news to them? And I said, "What is good news to you? When I help people, isn't it the good news? Or I have to say, you know, the four law of uh, what do you call that? Four law of uh, four, the four spiritual laws. Ah, uh, four spiritual laws. Is that the good news? So we we have a misconception about sharing the good news." So sharing is like the the Paul says, without saying anything, people can see because we are the what do you call unwritten gospel or your life is 
the gospel that people can see. So that's the thing that I said, do something without any motive. So what we are doing, like our neighbors in our church, the, the building that we use our, as our Bible school, we're really helping one widow there have a two grandchildren. I think we know her about since 2004, while the husband is still alive. Husband just passed away about, I think, five years ago. And then she has two uh, grandchildren. And she, we really uh, helping her without any motive. So what she told me, while I'm die, can you take my grandchildren as your part? Because I saw you are different. So everywhere she goes, she thought we are a different, different Christian. No motive, no nothing, just with the pure heart, we help her. So without saying anything, she knows that there is God in our life. So that kind of thing that I believe will, in, we like to use the to use the word of time in. I think in Greek says kairos. Kairos means is time of God. So we are we are living in the Chronos, our our time now. But when we talk about kairos, your part is just do whatever you can do, do good to people share the good news through your action and then in Kairos time, you will see many people will come to God without you do nothing. It doesn't mean I encourage you not to do, uh, I mean, not to share the gospel, but sharing the gospel is not just about the four laws or four spiritual or no. When you help people, do something with the people, that's part of our sharing the good news of, to, to the people. Like the story I tell you just now, Ketut, We are doing nothing with him. God is the one in his kairos. Bring him, bring Ketut to us. What what we are doing, we we just do very little thing, just less thing. We just baptize him. God is the one who prepare his heart. And his kairos time, through Ketut can bring a lot of uh, Hindu friends come to Christ. So our part, just do something without any motive, just like Jesus helped without uh, seeing uh, whether you want to be a believer in the future or not, just helping them. You never know. Maybe one month, maybe like the elderly lady, 50 years. Our part is just to be faithful, to do what we can do to help others. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Chandra and Uriah I want to pause for just a moment to tell you about a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus this Christmas season. The Christmas Gift Catalog from Advancing Native Missions features simple gifts that make an eternal impact. Give a goat or a chicken to help a family raise their own food. Give a bicycle to a missionary who travels from village to village on foot. Give a Bible to a new Christian who's never had one before. Or choose one of the 20 other practical gifts available at advancingnativemissions.com forward slash catalog. Every gift shares the love of Jesus with someone in another part of the world. If you have kids or grandkids, the gift catalog can be a great way to encourage generosity this Christmas. Again, you'll find the catalog at advancingnativemissions.com forward slash catalog. There's also a free coloring book download for kids right there as well. And now, Back to my conversation with Chandra and Uriah. Uriah, thanks for coming to the microphone. I'm going to make it pretty open-ended. I want you to share your heart uh, for the Lord and why, why you serve with your husband. Yeah, I just want, I just want to be uh my life useful for the others yeah because i'm background is not believers i'm beca- uh from muslim so when i know jesus i know his love i want sharing for two other people and i got calling then i go to mission field before before with him yeah i go to java to among Sundanese then yeah 
after I uh, uh, in the mission field, I really want sharing my life to other people. So I want uh, not just not just me uh, have uh, salvation. Yeah, I want many people came to Jesus. So after we get persecuted in Java because I baptized uh, one of Muslim leader in our house and youth leader know about that. Yeah, Muslim youth leader know about that and one night they came to our house to find me because I'm the leader of our team. Yeah, so lucky that time I go to Bali for holiday. So they just find my friend and asking for me, where is Uria? And my friend say, oh, he go to Bali. And they came about one truck of a man yeah, in the night. So my friend prayed because uh, she alone. And after they go, she just called me for a few days. Please don't come to come back to Java. to uh, Garut we call the name is Garut because many people want to find you and then after one week I go back to Garut uh, meet with uh, my friend and I'm not come back to our house but uh, I go to our friend's house and I, I call our principal in Batam and I tell the story We got like this and our principal said to us, now you come back to Batam because not safe for you if you stay there. And we come back to Batam and our principal sent us to Bali to help them, to help them ministry, to they, uh, they have Bible study. That's not our Bible study, but our school have Bible study there and like to run bubble study there. And I came to Bali in 2004. Yeah, yeah. I, I came to Bali in 2004 and after that, 2005, we get married in Bali. What, it's a powerful story of you coming to faith, having a passion to share Christ with others, to have Others experience what you experienced. That's what I heard. What excites you? What uh, gets you motivated to keep working with your husband and with the ministry in Bali? What's happening now that that makes you glad? Yeah, I'm very glad if I saw people came to Jesus. That I still like a wait. When uh, some people came to Bali, so I like won't celebrate. So still waiting, and if someone like uh, receive Jesus in their life, I wow, thank God. I I won't see many people, many people. So keep doing the work, and I believe that God will uh, give what you call it, what I. Uh, Yeah, when uh, God answered my desire to be useful for others. And not easy. <laughs> yeah, many times uh, like difficult uh, things came, but we, we, we still there because I know Jesus loves us and loves people. That's what I feel then. I saw now many young people we train and they dis, uh, dedicate their life to be a missionary. So I happy about that because we not work alone. And yeah, that's what make me happy now. I can see why you two are together. You have a common heart and common passion. And uh, a, a like-minded patience or long-suffering 
or um, endurance to keep on being faithful. And that's a, that's an inspiration to me. And I think to a lot of people to hear your passion and to hear the desire to share Christ with others, even in the midst of difficulties and challenges and setbacks and things you, you haven't really even shared too much about that side of the ministry. Um, the victories are sweet, but I think I'm like a lot of people that it's hard to remember the victories in the midst of the difficulties sometimes. And so it's good to hear you share the ways God's been faithful. I think scripture is pretty clear about, you know, especially with the Israelites, he called them to remember, to remember, to remember how God's been faithful. And I think that works today. Uh, He calls us to remember in the midst of our struggles that he is faithful and he brings about his, he brings about his plans and his time for his good. And uh, being here today with you has been, has been good. I want to ask Uriah first, and then I'll have uh, Chandra come back. What are some ways that we and others can pray for you and your ministry in Bali? Okay. Uh, maybe we need pray for you that God give us wisdom to do His work in Bali because we need that. When we meet people, God give us wisdom how to answer, how to bring them to Jesus from that. Uh, life or from them like difficult things or what so when God give us wisdom I think the time is right for them to uh, receive the good news yes I think that's we need thank you Chandra how can we pray for you and the ministry in Bali yeah uh I just start with this. My wife, why she become believers? Because she has a vision, she has a dream, while Jesus come to her, something like that. I found out a lot of non-believers, when they come to Jesus, they receive that kind of, uh, what do you call, was, for me it's like miracle story in their life. You know when I go to the Bible school, when I listen to the testimony of several of my friends, I feel like jealous and I told God, some of them from gangster, they have a testimony how God changed their life. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a boy that, kind of like a, a good boy from very small. I never do something bad and then this become a problem when I go to the Bible school because many people just give testimony. I don't have any testimony. So that's what I prayed to God that. But after graduate from the Bible school, I entered the mission field. That's how God created the story in my life. And now what is my praise? God, I have enough story. You know, when you have one story that God created in your life, it's really very big thing. You really need to have to a very big faith because like David says, something like you go to the valley of death. That's how God created the story in your life. So we have a plenty of story in our journey as a, as a ministry, as a minister of God. So you need to pray for us because what I saw is God still make a story in our life and it's not easy. And every story is not become easier and easier. No, it's become harder and harder and harder. In the beginning, when we start our uh, marriage life in the ministry, it's not easy. We get married also without any money. We really struggle. I asked one of the pastors, our principal, because he's our, our uh, spiritual father. I asked him, can you fly from Batam to Bali and conduct our wedding? And you know what he says? Yes, I can come. But which one you choose? I come to bless your marriage or... I just send you the money, my air ticket for your wedding. I just think and pray. I said, sir, I think the best one, just send me the money. <laughs> no need to. 
we are been praying for a wonderful marriage. We talk about we've been going to the five star hotel. We we do the test food and everything, but we never been conduct the wedding there. We just borrow a friend's church. It's very simple, and we really in tears when the wedding happened because it's not just the presence of God. It's like struggle in my heart and my mind said, is is this is this a life of minister of God? Can you do something special? So that's how we start our marriage life. And we have a wedding ring. After three months, I just told my wife, we have nothing to eat. So I just take the wedding ring. We sell. So so this is the one in my hand. This is the seventh time one. Because the, the seventh? Yeah, the seventh. <laughs> but this one lasts longer. This one lasts longer. <laughs> the marriage has lasted, but the rings, <laughs> the rings come and go. But yeah. the wife stays. That's good. Yes. That is good. And before uh, she joined the Bible school, she was working. While she's working, got some salary and then can buy the earring, necklace and everything. One by one, I just took. I said, for the sake of ministry. And that's kind of story uh, that 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 we have in our life. But thank God, now our life is getting better. But God still create the story. A lot of story, like I told you, it's not become easier, become harder and harder and harder. So that's why, like my wife told you just now, we really need your prayer. We really need God's wisdom. It's not just for us, also for our ministry. Like, you know, now we think that our ministry is growing. But when more people in your ministry, more leaders, more churches, the problem also more complicated. There is a lot of need that sometimes I say to my wife, do we need to take a break for a while? You know, some of my friends from US and Singapore, what I heard from them, there is a, they use the, I think, to take a break, like sabbatical things. Yeah. That's what my friends say. You need to take sabbatical like one year or two years. I said, in Indonesia, I don't think there is a sabbatical <laughs> for us <laughs> because there is a lot of work need to be done. So, we really need your prayer because let 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 you pray for us so God give us a, a wisdom how to handle every problem. And pray that God send the right people, right mentor for us to handle all the the problems that that we face in the ministry. Like you know, when there's a new believers come, especially they are from the non-Christian, they really kick out from the family, get the persecution. We cannot just say we just pray for you. Now, as a as a minister, as a leader, you need to solve their problem really need to take care of them because they pay the price. So that's kind of situation that we face. So we really need your prayer, encouragement. And in the beginning, there is a time we really want to give up because the work is very tough. But I, I really love my wife because since uh, very young, she liked to get a dream or vision like that. So every time I'm, I'm in struggle, I always told him, do you have a dream? So every time God give her a vision through a dream, that's encouraged me. There's one time we really feel discouraged because the work is cannot done. It's something like no fruit at all. So she just shared me about her dream and says, it's got something like God brought her hold her hand uh, to a garden, a flower garden. And there is a lot of uh, rose flower. You know, rose flower, there's a lot of thorn. Mm-hmm. So she just took several rose and she really paid the price because because of the rose thorn, the hand is get blood. Uh, but a bucket of uh, rose and she gave to Jesus. So Jesus received the, the, the flower rose while Jesus received and then Jesus just put aside and start communicate again with her. So she just like angry and said, God, don't you appreciate what I'm doing? 
see my hand get blood because of the rose. Well, I really want to give you the best, but when you receive, just put aside. Can you appreciate me? And God is something like told her, I appreciate your work, but I love you more than what you are doing. And when she shared that to me, I said, okay, that's the message from God. That in in the eyes of God, we are more important than whatever we are doing. It doesn't mean we are not doing the work, but whether it is succeed or it is fail, in the eyes of God, we are the one that most important. So when we keep that spirit, we know whether it succeed or not, God still loves us. And from that time, the work is starting to bear fruit. And every story in my life, God has a purpose. Now, plenty of friends, workers, pastors, that God connect me with them, have that kind of experience. They thought they are a failure. And I told them, you are not. So every every time I go to the deep in the jungle, the village, I met several pastors, been there for 20 years, and only like 10, 15 family. And I told them, I appreciate what you are doing. That's the meaning of faithfulness. Faithful, faithful means you are there. And for such a long time and I told them if I I will be like you I think I will not be stay for 20 years in that village just to serve for 15 family yeah and I thought you are you are better than me you can be stay there for 20 years faithful to serve this 15 family if I'm not the one I will leave the the ministry so that's what God led me to encourage this kind of people because I have that kind of experience. Because many times I feel like I'm a failure. I can't do anything. But since that vision, God really gave a message to us that we are the most precious than what we are doing. So we really need your prayer. Well, it's been a real gift to have you both in the studio to hear what God's done through you to have you share your struggles as well as your victories and to hear you um, give credit to God to, to speak about his faithfulness in your lives over the long term and to, to hear you ask that you still want wisdom. You don't have it all figured out and you still, you're still very dependent on, on him for, the ministry, even as you are experiencing growth and the problems that, that come along with that, the challenges. And so I know I've, I've been touched and um, encouraged and challenged uh, and convicted to, to be faithful in the ministries that, in the circle that God's called me to, and, and I think our listeners will be as well. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having us here. Hope all will be blessed. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for bringing us here. Uh, we have opportunity to share our life, our ministry, and God bless you. Could you take a moment to rate or review the podcast? When you leave feedback, it really does make a difference in helping others find us. We appreciate your help with that. And thanks for listening. God is at work around the world using native missions to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us again here on the Native Missions Podcast.